0: Hey, 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 welcome back to Tell Me About It. As most of you know, I am your host, Jade Iavine, and I'm so excited for today's episode. I just love our guest today. It is none other than Heather Gay. And if you are one of my fellow Bravo-holics, Bravo fans, I don't know what the fuck we're calling ourselves these days, if you are one of them, you share in this exciting day. Because Heather Gay is... Such a gift to the Real Housewives franchise. In addition to being on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, Heather owns Beauty Lab and Laser, which most people know as the infamous backdrop of the scene where the whole SWAT team comes and tries to find and arrest Jen Shaw before the cast trip. God, that was an amazing episode. It goes without saying, because I've said it 15,000 times on this show, I am one of the biggest Bravo fans ever, self-proclaimed. And so often people ask me, like, who's your favorite housewife, which is an interesting question, because what most people think they mean is, like, who would you want to hang out with? Who would you be friends with? Whose storyline or personality resonates with you the most? But that's not the answer that you get. When people ask me that question, I say the housewife that makes the best TV. Like, most of the time I'm disgusted by their actions, but it's the most entertaining person on the show. But Heather, man, she put a stop to all that. Heather both makes incredible television because she's just completely bold and unapologetic and says what we're all thinking, but she also occupies another role of our friend on the show. And it's been a long-ass time since there's been someone as relatable and funny and just normal. If you watch the show, you know that her storyline largely revolves around her separation from the Mormon church, the Mormon community, and the pain that that has caused in her life She talks about the liberation she feels leaving the church and the consequences of being so vocal on such a public platform. So many of her relationships have suffered, including relationships with her family. She's estranged from her mother and was from her father before he passed. And so many of the people that she used to call her friends are current members of the church and have either distanced themselves altogether or as she put it, merely tolerate her now, meaning they'll pick up her phone calls, but they're not going to help promote her book or buy her book or support her in any overt way. But before I get more into the Housewives aspect, because I just can't help myself, I do want to start this episode by saying that our conversation is in no way just for Housewives fans or Bravo fans. Heather came on the show to talk about her book, which we've seen her write over the past season of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, called Bad Mormon. On the show, she grapples with telling her truth. She grapples with what her truth actually is, because as we talk about in our conversation, it's hard for her sometimes to know where her beliefs begin and the beliefs that were programmed into her from a young age from the church leave off. So obviously, we had to unpack that. Her book comes out February 7th, and I got to read it early, just not to brag or anything. It's so good, and I highly recommend you all buy it, but you'll get a good sneak peek. In this episode, because she tells us about leaving the church, the relationships that are still fraught, her relationship with her ex-husband, her relationship with her daughters and her family, and just what the repercussions have been for being so forthcoming about her decision to leave the church and the immense amount of death threats and hate that she's received as a result. But I want to create a record scratch. I do have to just say, for all my Housewives fans out there, especially all my Salt Lake City fans who have watched this past season and these past few episodes before the reunion, I share in your frustration of the black eye. It's honestly all I can think about. The black eye and my wedding is all my brain really has room for these days. The black eye has caused such an uproar in the Housewives community. Basically, all you need to know, because all we know, is that Heather got a black eye mysteriously in the middle of the night on one of the cast trips. She's been super non-Heather about it, too. She's usually so bold and forthcoming and vocal and too honest. And with this subject, she's being cagey and speaking almost in riddles about the black eye and won't give us any information, but says that many of the other housewives know what happened, but she doesn't want to get anyone in trouble and doesn't want to get herself in trouble. I don't know. But of course, I had to ask her about that. And Of course, of course, of course, the Jen Shaw of it all. As most of us know, Jen Shaw was recently sentenced to six and a half years in federal prison, and we watched in this past season as Heather really stuck by her side um, before she pled guilty, of course, and since she has pled guilty, it's caused a bit of tension in their relationship, and so I had to ask where their relationship stands today, if she'll visit Jen, and if she felt betrayed by Jen pleading guilty. Okay, but back to the Mormonism of it all. I think a lot of people would be surprised to know, and what I learned in the book, is that Heather's questioning and her falling out of love, so to speak, with the Mormon church happened long before Housewives. I think it dates back to even in her adolescence when she first, you know, experienced sexual desires or wanted to try alcohol or wanted to show her shoulders. All of those things are, by the way, frowned upon in the Mormon community, She started to feel like maybe she didn't fit the mold of the keep, sweet, pray, and obey Mormon girl that she was supposed to be. So she takes us on the ride of her adolescence through adulthood up until her casting on The Real Housewives and chronicles her struggles with the Mormon church over the years. Oh, also, I was watching The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City the other day, and as I mentioned, so much of Heather's storyline is about her separating or removing herself from the Mormon church, right? And she broke down the levels of Mormonism. This is just to basically give you guys an idea of how the Mormon church looks at Heather right now. So the first level is celestial, which is like the people that really follow the fold that are super in line and high ups in the church and eat, sleep, breathe Mormonism. Then there's terrestrial, which is like, you know, if you watch the show, like Lisa Barlow, those kind of like reformed Mormons that adhere to some of the rules, but not all. They're not devout necessarily. Then there's telestial, which is like rapists, serial killers, like Jeffrey Dahmer is a celestial, which is insane. And then there's outer darkness. That's what Heather occupies. Outer darkness is basically reserved for the people that used to belong to the Mormon community and have now moved on with their lives or separated themselves or condemned the church and their practices. So Heather's all the way in outer darkness, meaning that she would have to ask Jeffrey Dahmer to let her into heaven. Just to give you guys an idea of some of the consequences of Heather speaking out about this. As I mentioned, Heather is bold, and I love that she mentions that it's not so much the fact that she's vocal about wanting to leave the Mormon church that causes so many people's disdain for her. It's the fact that she has this platform, this incredible platform where she has so many eyes and ears on her that deeply threatens the Mormon community and so many of her friends and family. This episode really scratches all itches if you are a Bravo fan. If you're not, there's something in this episode for everyone, so I'm so excited for you to hear it, and I just was so happy to hang out with Heather Gay. She's just as incredible as she is on screen. She's just as real, and like you want her to be your mom or your best friend. She's just the real deal. And like I said on this episode, I'm team Heather for life, although I would fucking like to know what happened with the black eye. But I'm really excited for you guys to hear what she said when I asked her about it, because I don't know. Maybe there's a little clue in there. All right. Enough, enough, enough. Here is the legend and bad Mormon herself, Heather Gay. Hi, Jade. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. Thank you for coming on. I am such a huge fan of yours. And the way that you came on the show is kind of funny because my friend spotted you at a restaurant in New York and knew what an insane, huge fan I was or am. And she asked you, like the ballsy bitch she is, she asked you to come on.
1: Yeah, and I was like, absolutely, a hundred percent, without reservation.
0: It was crazy. I mean, first she told me that you were there, and I was like, holy shit! Like that was enough to make my week. The fact that she just saw you, and then she sh- <laughs> like two minutes later, she sends me a selfie with you, and I was like, she's like, she said she'll come on the show, and I almost died. Truly, so I'm so grateful that you're here.
1: Well, I'm thrilled to be here. I believe in cosmic connections. Obviously, I mean, I. I'm a sucker for destiny and like our paths crossing and spiritual nature of all things. So when opportunities like that happen, I know it's for a reason. We have to seize them. There's so much more to the restaurant story, too. Is there really? Yeah. I mean, just like it was a very amazing day. And I wrote it was a Dear Diary day. And so your friend, she was like a messenger from
0: heaven. No (laughs) way. Okay. so this was really like divine intervention.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. Christian Siriana was there. A couple other celebrities were there, like at other tables. And like we just sat next to each other and just had this immense, incredible meeting.
0: I love that. And it's so appropriate that we're talking about divine intervention when we're going to talk so much about religion in a second. Yes. I just finished Heather's unbelievable book, Bad Mormon. I feel like it is the most anticipated book. Of 2023, at least thus far. So many people probably are dying to read it, and it does not disappoint in the least. It scratches every itch, like so much that you wanted to know about you, about your life, your past relationships. You even spill some major tea about the other housewives. It really <laughs> covers every base. A little something for everybody. There really is. And it's, uh, it's truly unbelievable. I like, couldn't put it down. I loved it so much. What was the Thank hardest you. part about writing it?
1: The hardest part about writing it was really deciphering mm-hmm. between what I believed, what my authentic self believed, and what had been just steeped into my DNA as mm. my obligation. It was really that battle duty to self and duty to community or duty to the faith, duty to my family, duty to my ancestors, and wrestling with All of those expectations and the party line, you know, that you're supposed to say, like name, rank, serial number, Mm -hmm. and just throwing those out the window and then just telling my story as if there weren't steep consequences for speaking out. So there it's, I would say, I guess I was afraid, but it was deeper than that. It wasn't just fear. It was like, I don't even know how to tell these secrets because I've never spoken of them publicly, not even to my closest friends. We've never, we never speak of anything that goes on in the temple outside of one sacred room in the temple. And you don't spend hours in that room. You know, it's like a movie, you go and you leave. So I had never spoken a lot of these things out loud. And that was the hardest part is just even saying it and doing it and not seeing like a be struck down by God.
0: Right, right. Yet. Well, because you exactly, <laughs> Give me, give me not, a week. <laughs> knock on wood. Because you're still friends with so many people that are involved in the church and varying capacities, right? So it was probably, A, terrifying on one hand because of your relationships with those people that are still involved, but also because, like you said, you'd never spoken about uh, so many of these ideas and thoughts that you put in the book before. And books feel permanent. You know what I mean? Even when I put out one of these episodes, sometimes I'm like, "Oh, I don't feel like that anymore" like 2 weeks later, but I can mm-hmm. remedy it cuz I can come out with another episode and, you know, revise what I said or whatever. But with a book, it's so it's permanent. Like what your thoughts are, like or what your thoughts were while you wrote it will live forever theoretically, and there's probably a lot of pressure on that while you're still kind of untangling yourself from the Mormon religion and culture.
1: Yeah, it's like how I have to expect there's going to be consequences and blowback when you are living in a Mormon community, your family's Mormon, your friends are Mormon, and you're calling yourself a bad Mormon. And you're also in many ways exposing really embarrassing, weird things about their faith and their faith practice. And these are secrets that people don't want told. So, you know, I'm, I have to face the fact that I am Taking a huge risk, you know, and there is definite, definite upending of my life. You know, my, I had to change all of my friends' names. There's only two or three names that remained. I had to really make sure I stuck to telling my narrative. And because it is so permanent and because it's such an upheaval of the tradition and way that my family has lived for generations, like I wanted to make sure that no stone was unturned. Like I wanted my children and my family to know, like, listen, Mm. this isn't just, Hey, let's write a tell all about the Mormon faith. This is me processing all of this. And a lot of it has been processed, you know, before a worldwide audience on television. Mm -hmm. And so now I can tell the story in a permanent way that reflects really how charged and difficult it has been to be raised in this faith and to walk away from it and to find your footing.
0: Yeah. Like when when I was reading it, I kept thinking of Leah Remini who has separated herself and which is a very benign way of saying exactly what she did. She really has gone after the Scientol the Church of Scientology and is condemning all of their malpractice and everything like that. And it's crazy because she really has a lot of threats to her safety and to her friends and family or even people that produce her show. You know, it really is really heavy. Have you found kind of like a similar have you ever spoken to her or have you ever like do you feel akin to her experience?
1: I mean, I, she's like a hero to me. She's Joan of Arc. She's, she went up against, you know, this giant institution. And I think kind of in the wave of social activism, all congregations are forcing that type of transparency and accountability Mm -hmm. for corporations and religions and Church of Scientology. She knew that there would be severe consequences and Mormon church. It's very much. Similar, you know, they are yeah. suing me for the book. They're trying to infringe, you know, on my trademark. They're trying to keep it from getting in the hands of the people. They don't want these secrets out. And so yeah, I feel an absolute kinship. Hit me up, Leah. I yeah, would love ser- to I would seriously. love to lunch in with our faces shielded.
0: Exactly. <laughs> it's in private. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get further into it, I like I said, I'm the biggest Bravo fan in the world. So I would be remiss not to ask you. Twofold. Number one. Is there a connection between this book and the black eye?
1: No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the black eye was a crazy anomaly, you know, that happened on television. You know, I got a black eye on TV and I probably should have just gone to the hospital or gone home. But in the spirit of housewives, and you know, the connection is pioneer ancestry, you know, we right. walk and work through things. And I right. stayed and filmed with this horrendous black eye and by not talking about it and being coy, you know, it just created a monster that
0: Boy has the it. audience
1: is trying to sort through. But yeah, the book is about me becoming a housewife and not really about me being a housewife and certainly not about, one random black eye that I woke up with on one cast trip because I'm sure there'll be more.
0: (laughs) Yes. Well, no, no, God forbid. But it's crazy because that has really caused an insane, I mean, the Reddit chains about like what happened. People are going into like Nancy Drew mode trying to figure it out. But just tell me this and I'll stop asking, will we find out what happened?
1: You know, you'll get a lot of answers at the reunion. We kind of open up about all of it. And that's what's kind of the, You know, double-sided reality TV, you know, we want to hold this, these experiences for the audience. And so, you know, I, I, it did not play out well on the show for me. It was me trying to get out of an uncomfortable situation. And I think the audience will see that and hopefully understand and empathize a little bit with all of it. But if not... I'm sure I'll do more stupid things season four to, to for them to be enraged about.
0: No, I mean, that is the nature of reality <laughs> TV. It's so mercurial. Like everyone's for you yeah. and then against you. But I feel like you have always been like the voice of reason. You're so relatable. I really feel like it's gonna come out in your favor, but I'm just, di- like, we're all just dying to know. We're all just on pins and needles dying to know. But this has been an insane season. Not only because of that, but obviously what happened with Jen recently. Can you just tell me what was your last correspondence with her and will you visit her?
1: I mean, that is such a tough question. It has been very, very tumultuous a few weeks for me. I can imagine. I mean, ever since she pled, really, when she pled guilty, everything changed. And mm-hmm. I was really in a horrible, horrible Position because the things that she did were horrendous, you know, and she had said she was innocent over and over and over. And when your friend tells you they're innocent and you're on the show with them and you are in their lives, you support them. That is who I am. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what I did. And honestly, the whole cast really supported her in her innocence. And now that she's taking accountability, all I can really think about are the victims. I haven't considered mm-hmm. visiting her or really hanging out with her. I don't think she's in a position to do that. I right. I just am focused on processing mm-hmm. the lies and the fraud and really the victims because, yeah the victims were old and totally, totally victimized. And I just right. hope they get their restitution, honestly.
0: Yeah, those those impact letters were intense, for sure. But I, when I was watching you this season, I kind of thought, I bet a large part of your loyalty, irrespective of your inherent tendency to be loyal, I think mm-hmm. there's probably some of it that's rooted in The appreciation of the people that have stuck by you. It's apples and oranges, of course, but there is probably that feeling of I did something that was considered wrong to a huge community of people by leaving the church. And I'm like, how many people can you count them on one hand? How many people stuck by you or was it is it a large group?
1: Well, they're dropping like flies. (laughs) Let's just, Housewives was a huge undertaking. You know, my friends openly said, like, we've given you a lot of grace. Like, we're still here and you were on the show and you're saying these things. And so they feel like they're really doing me a favor by being in my life. But the book has been a huge slap in the face. And I think that the fallout from the book will be as expected, this is why mm-hmm. I didn't leave the faith for so long right. because I knew the consequences were swift and severe. And I think a lot of people do, and they are happening. So mm-hmm. I can definitely count on one hand who has stood by me. I can't count any of them that have supported me. I mean, wow. they're still answering my calls and texts, but they're openly vocal about how disappointed they are. And I would feel like a hypocrite if my friend did something and I said, you do something wrong, you're out. Like I've done a lot of wrong things in my life and been given a lot of grace and I do wrong things every day. And I Mm -hmm. love the people that are like, we know who you are. We know that you're going to mess up, but we're still going to stick by you. And that's who I want to be, not just to Jim, but to all of my friends. But at some point I have to defend my own perspective and my own children and my own moral integrity. And when you're innocent it's one thing. When you admit to doing it and then you still haven't, you know, made it right, you can't expect me to get into that basket too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a line I can't cross.
0: No, I think that's a great that's a very a very important distinction and I love that you said that you feel more tolerated to an extent rather than accepted and really rallied behind. These people are like, "Yeah, we'll still answer your calls, but they're not necessarily calling you checking on you, defending you."
1: no and they won't read the book they won't come to any events for the book and they're o- and they won't purchase the book or tell people they've been very open about that and wow. they want they just said you can live your life how you want but you didn't need to write a book and you didn't need to reveal the secrets that we hold to be sacred And I think it's because they're embarrassed because, you know, it's weird stuff. It's very, very weird, very, very dark stuff Mm -hmm. that we do weekly as Mormons in the temple. We go to the temple. It's part of our weekly practice or monthly practice, depending on your faith.
0: No, I love how you describe, you know, in the book, it's so clear. And you take us on this journey of when you were a child and experiencing the Mormon faith, you know, and you thought like our lives are perfect. We're not like the Catholics, we don't do this. We're not like, we're not extremists in these ways. You know what I mean? But you felt really like you had the golden ticket. And then it kind of evolves into your adolescence and puberty and then high school, you know, all these different times in your life where slowly and slowly you start to see that unravel and you start to see your temptation take hold and all of that. So I loved watching, because at the beginning, I'm thinking, why aren't we all more, You know, like, why aren't right? we all Mormons? And then by the end, you're like, holy shit. You know, like that's really the progression the book takes you on. So who are you most afraid of reading it?
1: The truth is for a long time, I was most afraid of my family reading it, but I Mm -hmm. really think I honored them and the wonderful idyllic childhood I had. I mean, Mormonism was the center of my universe and I didn't know otherwise. And so when it works, it works. And Mm -hmm. when you don't fit the mold, you know, there's huge, huge destructive fallout. But I think now... I'm more afraid of who won't read it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'm more afraid of them not reading it and not knowing the struggles it's been. There's people out there that I know should read it because they will feel seen and they will feel represented and it might help them process a lot of their own cognitive dissonance and a lot of their own Mm -hmm. you know, ethical dilemmas because the church has bigoted, homophobic, destructive Mm -hmm. doctrine, and there's no way around that. And Mm -hmm. we can talk about it or we can ignore it. And this book is a great opportunity to talk about it in a way that I think will lead to further conversation. So I'm now more afraid that people won't read it because I think there's so much good in it.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, it's so eye opening. And it it is gentle. Of course, it is revealing. But like you said, you did. I really like that you made room for the and. It wasn't just like you had a bad childhood or a good. You had a great childhood, but the undertones of Mormonism and like the symptoms of that affected your entire life. But I really, I loved how you also really talked about the self loathing that first comes when you feel like you don't fit in the church rather than condemning the church's actions, you could like you think, oh, I'm wrong. I don't fit. And I'm sure there are a lot of people experiencing that and maybe haven't made it to the side of the road that you're now on, which is like it was never me. Right. But what is the ratio, if you had to say, of people that are coming out attacking you versus the people that are actually like from the church, were former members of the church. Did a lot of people have an experience like you leaving the church? Like is there an exodus?
1: Yeah. There's an exodus for sure happening. That's the exact term. There is a huge purging right now that's going on. Um, I think we talked a little bit about social activism paving the way and mm-hmm. kind of that's this forcing transparency on our all these institutions that we pay a lot of money to. Mm-hmm. But, oh my gosh, I, I just saw a bird hit my window. You guys, Holy give me one shit. minute.
0: Okay, yeah, go ahead. Oh my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jesus, is that a bad omen? I'm like- <laughs> I'm like, God,
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'm about sorry. to say. We're sorry. He <laughs> just said the missile like, okay. <laughs> well, will you repeat the question?
0: <laughs> yes. More, I forgot what we were saying too. We were saying. The ratio oh, of the ra- yeah, attack, the people. attack yes. and
1: support. This is a good question. When I first went on the show, I was attacked ruthlessly by active members of the church. They were horrified and just wanted to discredit me immediately. I mean, they Mm -hmm. did fact checks after every episode, things that I said wrong, things that they invalidated my experience. They invalidated my credibility. They invalidated the fact that I was even Mormon. Mm -hmm. And that type of scrutiny, I understood. But what I didn't realize was that there was an entire community of Exodus Mormons, of Mormons that were the same as me that, Mm -hmm. that had gay friends and that had, that were women. I mean, there's so much, there's so much problematic things in the church, but that felt like me. And I didn't know they were there because we live in the shadows. We live in the outskirts. You know, we -hmm. don't know who else is a bad Mormon because we're not accepted. So we don't reveal ourselves. We live closeted and clandestine, you know, we're secretive. So this gave an opportunity for everyone to say like, I'm a bad Mormon too. Like Mm -hmm. my, when I go at BravoCon, I mean, people would grab my arm and be like, I'm a bad Mormon, I'm a bad Greek, I'm a bad right. Catholic, I'm a bad, you know, Jew. Like, it was just, like, this commonality.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really rare to find someone that can follow all of these insane rules. And, like, you go through so many of them in the book, but so many of them are so oppressive and even just thoughts are considered going against the church and things that you cannot control. So even like as much as you try, if you are turned on by another individual, you're like, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Even just inherently who you are. So going on the show, I know happened after your divorce, right? Uh, And Mm -hmm. you was obviously something different than probably people in your community were doing. But I love how you talk about this kind of sliding door moment of saying, okay, am I going to take these lessons of the Mormon church and perpetuate them or kind of just go with the party line? Like you said, you know, I left the church, but you know, X, Y, and Z and stay kind, keep sweet, pray and obey, you know, in a way, yeah. or were you going to come out and tell your truth? How long was that decision-making process or did it kind of just happen as you started on the show and realized, I can't lie through this experience. Yeah,
1: I mean, reality television forced my hand I always knew I could live in the shadows and still show up at church and still raise my kids so they wouldn't be ostracized at school and still mm-hmm. you know be invited to all the community activities and all of the fun and just have my own secret private world but that felt hypocritical it felt ethically wrong and it felt mm-hmm. like I was trapped instead of saying what can I be it was basically what can I not be and that's how I lived my life and that was mm-hmm. forcing me to die inside so mm-hmm. it happened slowly and then all at once i mean i started having real issues with the church on my mission where I felt like I had to die inside in order to do it or I had Mm -hmm. to at least put up this shell of a human. Mm -hmm. And that continued throughout my entire adult life. Absolutely was something that I took into my marriage that like, if it didn't work for me instead of fixing it or leaving, I just die inside and say it does. So that people pleasing came with me, even when the show was presented, like maybe I can be a people pleaser and keep the Mormons happy and keep my kids happy and be authentic. But ultimately the viewers went out because I knew you can choose Hollywood or heaven. You can't have both. And (laughs) The viewers always see through you. Reality television holds you accountable. And if I was going to do it, I couldn't put on the cult of happiness and this Mm -hmm. Mormon facade that I was not, didn't believe really, and didn't want to live anymore. Right. So housewives forced me to live authentically and for the first time in my life. And I really am discovering who I am. And that sounds so pathetic, but I lived in a bubble and- the air slowly escaped until there was no oxygen left in the room. And this was a breath of fresh air. This was a second chapter, you know, sometimes the truth is like a second chance and I really feel like it. So writing this book was my opportunity to put that to paper and to really claim my independence. And so this book is the housewives got me there and got me this opportunity. And this book is me ripping the bandaid off and starting fresh now. I'm sure it'll still be messy, but at least it's, this is the new line in the sand for me, this book, because there's no going back. There's no people pleasing. You know, I finally chose myself and my story and my experience, and without fear of, res- you know, what the consequences are gonna be.
0: What a juxtaposition. I mean, going on Housewives is pretty much the most radical thing I'm sure you can do. It's based largely in like salacious, you know, it's. It's naughty, you know what I mean, in so many ways. It's fueled by alcohol and rage and secrets and all this stuff. So it's, you really took a big dive. And I'm sure it was, whether subconscious or conscious, kind of probably something you knew would lead to your freedom, right? Definitely. Your first season, do you notice like such a big difference between your ability and were you more bold at the beginning or do you think you're more bold about it now? I mean, you are writing a book about it now, but are you more careful because you've seen the underbelly?
1: I don't know if I'm more careful. I think I'm still too naive to be careful. I'm, I'm still a fairly new housewife, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that I am more myself and right. it's, it's like I'm having an adolescence and unfortunately it's happening on TV, but I'm going yeah. through a midlife crisis openly. I introduced myself to myself getting cast on the show, but now I'm becoming bolder and also just more comfortable in like ordering drinks, wearing a tank top, wearing, you know, showing cleavage, like having a mini skirt on. I really just thought I never knew that I could do these things and not Mm -hmm. be struck down and not, you know, there's definite fallout, but I thought I would just, shrivel up on the vine and die if I didn't follow the rules. And so bolder, yes, but also just more comfortable in my new skin and this new identity Mm -hmm. because I want to eventually not have Mormon anywhere by my picture. I just want to be Heather, (laughs) Heather, you know, but I've been steeped in it for so long that I don't know how to extrapolate what I've been taught and what I really want to do for, for my own life.
0: Right, like you're still dividing yourself or pulling yourself from that identity. That's so interesting. So what is- It's like is... I'm Kimmy
1: Schmidt, Jade. It's like For I'm Kimmy real. Schmidt and I'm kind of, I'm the Hill people and I, I'm living this life now. And it's kind of what I played into the stereotype. Like you leave the church and your life entirely falls apart. You're subject to all the salacious sin and housewives represents all of that. And so mm-hmm. I'm kind of diving in. Right. And that's messy and thrilling.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It is absolutely both messy and thrilling. But like when you were talking about, you know, even ordering drinks or wearing certain things, what is like still to this day thing that you weren't allowed to do in the Mormon community that now you can do that feels the most uncomfortable, like that you still feel naughty or like bad for doing? Sex. Yeah. I was going to because that's everyone. The big, like, the
1: big sex. Right, right. The big right, S-E-X. The,
0: exactly. I feel like that is for people with religious trauma, that is the... End all, be all. Do you find that it's after you have sex, before you have sex, like the whole thing is like always?
1: Well, I'm great during. Yes. (laughs) No, it's not the actual, it's just I cannot talk about boys with my girls. I don't go on dates. They don't see men. I don't, I haven't normalized that. Like I'll walk around the house in a tank top now and I'll make coffee every morning.
0: Right. Because wearing tank tops, like showing your shoulders or drinking caffeine is frowned upon in Mormonism.
1: But I am not having a man sleepover anytime soon or right. saying, John's picking me up. We're going to a hotel. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not saying, you know, I still pretend to be the Virgin Mary mother. And that is something that I'm working on in therapy. I'm not sure what that'll look like when I'm healed. but Yeah.
0: No, like how much of that do you think is guilt from a divorce or restarting your life after that and the awkwardness of dating and you have three girls versus what was Programmed in you from just like sex is bad or like being a modest, prude or whatever girl is the right way to be,
1: I think that it's just was drilled in me that a a lady has one man, and that's right. it. And if you are sleeping around, it's because you were you weren't good enough to keep your husband, you know, right. and I just think there's a lot of shame, a lot of inbred misogyny, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of just only the trashy girls sleep around
0: right. From the feedback that you've gotten from people that have read the book thus far. I know what mine was, but what have people said was the most shocking rule or like practice of the Mormon religion?
1: I think people are mostly shocked by how violent the temple rituals are and how Mm -hmm. deeply kind of sexual and violent the oaths are. I don't detail all of them, but I allude to them, Mm -hmm. you know, and people can Google some. But I think the fact that this is what... The PTA mom's doing. This is what Mitt Romney, the presidential candidate, does. when It is crazy. It's not just, you know, walking around and communing with God. It is a physical involved ritual that Mm -hmm. we do over and over and over for dead people. Right. And that's what we do in the temple. It's ritual by proxy for dead people. And I talk a lot about that. And that's the most shocking things, I think.
0: It's crazy because when you put a face to, like you said, all these people that are doing it. You think of, you know what I mean? Think of it as another world, but these people we're interacting with like on a daily basis. It's yeah. bizarre to think that that's going on in daylight. You know what I mean? Or in whatever. daylight. Yeah. And they're
1: keeping it a secret. We live in a time where nothing is, everything is on social media. There's everything's on ring camera. And
0: this, it's kind of amazing that they're able to.
1: No one speaks of these rituals and I am in this book, and so. That's probably why the dead bird flew right into the window.
0: Exactly. <laughs> or why our internet connection keeps cutting out. So like when you decide to leave the church, let's say you wake up one day and you say, this is not for me anymore. When you don't have a platform like you do, how do you do that? Do you have to make a meeting with like a higher up in the church? Like, how do you deni- Like how do you separate yourself?
1: Well the process has been has evolved over the years and now there's a couple um activists that have tried to streamline it for it but it essentially involves some paperwork and a notary public But they can also reject it. And they send the church leaders over to counsel with you to explain to you the um, consequences. You get a brochure that shows your body being ripped limb to limb.
0: Wow!
1: (laughs) Removing your name from the records of the church is the ultimate betrayal. If I could come back, like you could, once you're off the records, you could be rebaptized. You have to meet with like the higher ups of the higher ups, but it's just a community process
0: but i'm sure they will punish you. You know what i mean and like you have to like yeah. really grovel and try to ask to come back. But so what did you do? You just you had a So
1: i'm in the process of filing the paperwork and they haven't sent me to like the second tier interviews, you know, where they come and try to counsel you to stay, but you can go to a website called quitmormon.org and they'll help <laughs> you fill out the essential paperwork. And i ran and i met a notary public the other day, at beauty lab. She's coming in with her partner and yeah. she said it's so involved, but I will walk you through it and I'll even come over and be your notary and file all the paperwork for you and, and follow this process through for you so that it doesn't get lost in, in translation.
0: Wow. And what would it look like if they just never approved? Do you, you don't have to pay. Like, I mean, you, you're out, right?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they got the memo when well, you yeah. write a book called Bad Mormon. <laughs> yes. I mean, they get the memo that you're not active in the church. I haven't paid tithing. I, I don't contribute, but I also don't want my name counted amongst them. Okay. But the truth is I am still married to my husband in the eyes of the church. They have only the patriarch of the home can grant that divorce to me. Okay. So even though civilly we're divorced and legally spiritually, I'm still one of his wives in heaven.
0: Wow. That's crazy. In, in the book, I've noticed the specific language saying that your husband asked for the divorce, even though it was very clear that you were the one that was pretty miserable. But he asked for the divorce and then he filed the papers. Is it mm-hmm. is that part of Mormonism, like that the man has to ask and file?
1: That's part of the spiritual. I mean, Mormonism, they would counsel against legal divorce unless right. it was ridiculous circumstances. So that's that has, doesn't have much to do with it. It's just the patriarchal order of the church. Women are, It's. I call it kind of like a carabiner. Like you have a mm-hmm. carabiner with like six different keys and the man's the carabiner to God. So oh. we're just kind of hanging off of his carabiner and they refuse to often take a woman off of it and fling her out into the universe right. because then it doesn't, it just messes up their chain. <laughs> so that's why wow. divorce is difficult. That's why people leaving the church is difficult because the church works on a pyramid structure. And if one chain's missing, everything else falls to the wayside. So they have not never granted me a temple divorce. It wouldn't matter if Billy requested or I requested it, the church leaders would have to approve it. And they would only approve it if I had another righteous priesthood leader to marry me in the temple in order to keep, to move my keychain onto another carabiner.
0: Wow. No, that makes total Like, if sense. I had
1: gotten remarried, it would have not been an issue. It's just when you're dangling out here, you know, where do the kids go? Where? How does God find everybody? Like, you can't God just... God
0: forbid you're a woman. Right. Okay. Yeah. God, on her own. That's so crazy. It, but that makes me wonder, and I know you talk about this on the show, but for people that don't watch the show, what is it like to co-parent with someone so heavily still involved in the church?
1: Well, the good thing is, the dads provide and the moms nurture. So okay. I'm in charge. I have 100% custody. They sleep at my house every night. They right. live with me. I make all their decisions, all their meals, all their... They visit their dad. And so there's no there's no co-parenting. It's my job. And right. I'm 100% responsible. And that's just... That's part of the culture.
0: I mean, we've all watched your conversations with them. They're not a part of the church for all intents and purposes. But was there yeah. ever a moment that they kids can feel pressure from outside forces or feel like the stuff that you're doing is affecting their life at school. Like, did they ever say like, mom, stop being so open about this aspect of our lives?
1: You know, shockingly they haven't. And I think it's because they saw me kind of so not present for so long, kind of in those dark, dark eras of post, uh, Billy leaving separation and divorce. You know, I was really a shell of who I am. And I think, Mm they see me, it's like Glennon Doyle said, you know, a child watching their mom live an unlived life is much more damaging. And that's what they saw. And so now they see me living this life and they're so supportive, but there's Mm. absolute fallout. They don't, they are glad to be free of all these expectations that the church put on them and all of the morality, especially for teenage girls, all of it. It's a lot. And they're, they're grateful to have this open, Canvas now to become whoever they want to become. But there's certainly fallout. You know, they're bullied at school and they're they're ostracized Mm -hmm. a little bit. It's a very, very insular community. And, you know, if your mom is writing a book called Bad Mormon, you know, chances are you're not getting invited over after school.
0: Right. Right. But that because you're in Utah still. You're still in the Mormon capital.
1: Yeah. Everyone's Mormon or Mormon adjacent here. That's just how it is.
0: I mean, you see it on the show, even. But is that hard with your ex-husband? Was there ever a fight to like keep the girls in the church?
1: Yeah, he his visit with them right now every week is he does like a spiritual message. Okay, you know, he's so he you know
0: he tries to keep it alive.
1: So, but I don't I don't really discuss it with him because it's kind of like a drop of cyanide in the ocean. You know, their world is so big now. Mm. There's no way that you could take them back. Like us breaking free, that's our experience. It can never go away. You can't unsee the truth. Once your eyes have been kind of opened, it's shocking. I went to adult catechism for the Greek Orthodox Church last week, and I was sitting there with my jaw just like, because they're teaching me all these things that I thought were singular to Mormonism. And to know that the whole wild world believes them too, I'm like he made some reference like you know we have historical integrity with the scriptures they didn't just fall out of the sky and i was like yes they did right. they flew they fell out of the sky and they were never seen again by an angel and we're going to return to jackson county missouri one day and meet god and i right. was just like
0: like yeah. no exactly and that stuff is really people believe it and i think that's what's also kind of shocking in the book is to think when you learn that stuff from the moment that you take your first breath on this planet It doesn't seem ridiculous to you.
1: And it's reinforced by everyone in your life over and over and over.
0: And asking questions is kind of frowned upon, you know, asking anything that would challenge that. And I love how you even wrote in your book, like, I had the answer for everything. If someone wanted to say, like, how did we get on the planet? I had the answer. There's a script, you know, that you have to regurgitate. So what relationship would you say was the most devastating that ended as a result of you leaving the church? What's been the most painful?
1: Certainly my parents, you know, this is something I wanted to celebrate with my family, with my mom, with my dad before he passed. And this book, the success in my life has no value in my community Mm. or amongst my family at all. So that's painful. But most recently with the book, just my closest friends from high school, you know, we stayed really, really close and they made it clear to me that writing this book was probably crossing the line that they couldn't come back from. so that's that's hard because and now I still want to be friends with everybody. I still want to celebrate now. I want to go on lavish trips. Now I have right, money. You right. know, now I can do whatever I want and and join them, you know, but that's been really painful. just losing my closest friends and, of course, my immediate family,
0: yeah. Like you don't realize the bravery that it takes. and Also, like, it's just if they even read the book, they'd probably feel so differently. Just the assumption that it's like all that it's a reason to make you a pariah in any aspect. And it also teaches you the sobering reality that sometimes love is conditional, which is like a really terrifying thing and probably makes you resent the religion even more for having such a tight hold over so many of the people that you love.
1: Absolutely. but it's it's a little bit fascinating that it's very conditional love. But, you know what else is conditional love? Housewife fame. Right. That's conditional love, too. So in many ways, I'm out of the frying pan into the fire, you know, and absolutely. that's absolutely. I'm comfortable with conditional love. I'm not as much of a pleaser as I used to be.
0: Yeah, I'll
1: bet. but, like... you know, it's kind of fascinating to me that, like I sold my soul for the church, and I'm certainly not going to sell my soul for housewives. But, you can see the temptation, you know, For you want to sure. be loved. You want to be accepted. You want to be liked. And I talk about that community embracing me and through the ups and downs, like I know they're there. And it's mostly the, uh, the fellow bads out there, you know, the fellow mm-hmm. others that felt like whoever their authentic self was somehow was in conflict with their immediate community and family. And they felt that pain and that schism. And those are my people. And that is, a comfortable place for me. I'm comfortable with conditional love.
0: <laughs> That's really real because like, it is really lonely. Fame is lonely. You know, it feels, especially housewives when every week there is something, the black, eye, whatever it is like that people are, it's so, it fluctuates so much. Yeah. And also as you're going through this crazy transition, you must feel lonely sometimes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And of course I'm alone, you know, I'm a single mom and all of these events, all of the wives are married, all of the events they bring their husbands, you know, all of the events I walk in alone and to walk into a group that doesn't like you and is gunning for you alone, Mm -hmm. it exacerbates the loneliness and exacerbates the independence. And I guess it's a blessing and a curse, you know, because if I hadn't been conditioned like that, I probably wouldn't have the strength to write the book or to, you know, stand behind the book and to defend my own integrity and my daughters.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I feel like your daughters have to be because of so much of the oppression to women. And I'm sure your three daughters were a huge inspiration, but also a source of strength in leaving because you're like, oh, oh, oh I'm not going to raise another generation of these submissive women.
1: Yeah, they they're the reason for all of it. And they are a reward every day. I mean, I got lucky I got great kids that caretake me and support me were the four musketeers and there was a big news thing that happened in Utah. a couple of weeks ago where there was a huge murder suicide of a family, a Mormon family of six kids or five kids. And the obituary heralded this man as a family man after he had murdered his entire family. And the public statements made by both families talked about him being a wonderful man. And we just kind of read that together and cried because it's just such an example of the deep patriarchy and misogyny in the church where a a dad can be arrested for abuse and murder, suicide, his entire family, and we'll still pretend that he was infallible and honorable and that it was somehow our fault.
0: But you, who just wrote a book about your experience, are considered...
1: Yeah. I'm the scourge of the earth, you know?
0: Exactly. What is the you mentioned this in the book. I think it says like, ye will be blessed in all things. What is the end all be all? If you follow every rule of Mormon culture is it that you go to heaven? Is that you live a happy life on this earth? What is the promise if you do? That? It's
1: both. Ye, ye have no promises. If you if you obey my commandments, you know God is covenanted with you that you will be blessed in both temporal and spiritual things. Which means your family will remain intact. You will hmm. achieve the celestial glory, the highest level of heaven where you live with God and your eternal family. Okay. So anyone that in your family that doesn't keep those rules, we call an empty chair because they have somehow not fulfilled the obligations to be at our table with God in heaven. So wow. you're blessed on earth. They want you to be happy on, on the earth life and then have eternal joy with your family in the hereafter. So the promise is, if you keep my commandments, you will be blessed in all things, both temporal, spiritual, financial, all of it. The blessings of heaven, you cannot open up the windows. They will. You can't receive it. There'll be so many is what we're promised.
0: Okay, so then when you enter your marriage and you're finally seeing, as someone put it, you won the lottery for Mormonism, you're marrying this Mormon royalty, you're marrying this guy, you start this marriage, you're young, you feel like you've won in so many aspects, but you weren't happy. You know, you didn't feel a connection. You didn't feel all of these things. Was that maybe one of the first concrete pieces of evidence that you're like, wait, 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 I'm I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not happy. This can't be what they promised me.
1: I mean, that was the biggest because I kind of had been waiting for a man. I, of course, felt it deeply growing up in young women's, like knowing I didn't fit in, getting in trouble for my crude jokes. At BYU, I certainly felt like I wasn't fitting in. I I was just slowly trying to deteriorate and be small and acceptable and not funny and not smart and not good at business. I mean, you just try to diminish, 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 and it worked because the more I diminished myself that's when I finally did, I found a man and then I got married and I thought, okay, now it'll all make sense because now it's like the big rings, you know, it's marriage, it's the temple, it's the children. And the kids were everything. The kids gave me purpose, gave me meaning, and they gave me reason to stay no matter what the cost. Like he could have said or done anything. If he had never left, I would have always stayed. And that is the greater tragedy. And I can only barely say that now. I used to, I couldn't even say divorce when I started filming the show. I couldn't even say ex-husband. I would say, that's the girl's father.
0: Right. The
1: vocabulary wasn't even in me. And so I've grown a lot. Being a housewife has created it for me, but also writing the book was hugely cathartic and helped me look at it with perspective on my entire life and how I've always been me, but I've just been putting the personality of the church on top of it in order to be accepted.
0: So when you're now in those moments where you feel lonely or you feel attacked or you feel misunderstood or any of those things, and you feel like tapping into faith, right? What is your relationship like with God, with spirituality? What would you call yourself spiritually now?
1: Well, I'm definitely God-fearing and God-believing. I don't know where my spiritual journey is going to take me. I know that I love being a scholar of the scriptures and of the history of faith. And going to these catechism classes, they said that religion is a dialogue with God and church is the vocabulary. And that was something that really pricked my heart because I thought, okay, I have a lot of this vocabulary now. I just need to learn the new words in order to continue to communicate with God and to further, you know, my spiritual path. So I still pray, but there's a part, a shameful part of me that thinks it's like I forfeited the right to pray to God. I forfeited his protection. I forfeited the promise because I didn't keep the faith. And that is something that I have to wrestle with every day, but I still pray to God and, you know, celebrate the birth of Christ, like I still mm-hmm. believe in like the Judeo-Christian God, yes. the father, Christ, his son. And, but I'm open to everything now. I thought for ev- for so long, I had the answers to everything. And now I'm able to admit that I know nothing. And I'm, I myself am a blank slate ready to be, I'm an empty page that men will want to write on. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <Like> our favorite <laughs> lyrics. No, tr- it's, it's really like, I love that you talk about shame. Like, I love that you say that you don't feel that you have a right to pray to the God that you forfeited that. And like, there is so much that you still, like we have mentioned are untangling, you know, unraveling yourself from this religion and from the beliefs. And I'm sure just your autopilot often has the voice of the church. Like your subconscious, so much of it is laced in what you've been taught your whole life. And so you're having this new experience. Like you said, you're in your adolescence now, you know, like just purely seeing the world through new eyes. Like so many of the things that you, thought were just like normal or what everyone thought, or all of a sudden you're left without a paddle. You're like, oh, I don't know the answer to anything, which is so crazy. I love that you mentioned that you found that so much of Mormonism is thinking in terms of binaries, right? So it's like everything from good and bad, you know, God or Satan, et cetera, et cetera. I would imagine that kind of thinking I've read is really related largely to a lot of mental illness and Issues with that because it is so there's no gray area, there's no room for middle ground or anything like that. Do you still find yourself slipping into that way of thinking?
1: Absolutely. Like when I want to pray with my family, I think, Oh, am I allowed to pray? Is this hypocritical? Am I a huge, giant hypocrite? I just think it's all or nothing. And it definitely feels all or nothing in this community because there's a Mormon church on every corner and you have to beat the bushes to find a community that exists outside of that. So of course I want to live in the gray. I'm trying to raise my kids in the gray. I'm trying to have them understand that everything is fluid, gender and sexuality and morale. you know, It all is a growing and learning experience and we're all in it together, but I am bred in black and white, right. <laughs> binary thinking. Right. And, it's going to be a process to kind of untangle all of that.
0: Absolutely. Well, I am, I am and always will be team Heather. I think that you are, I mean, your girls are so lucky to have you. I think what many people don't think of is like how brave this is and how impactful and important it is and how much it will change like other people's lives. So I just commend you for doing this. I just think the future is so bright for you. And I'm like, I love that we get to watch your future. Thank you. My last question is just having to do with the reunion. Is there any moment that you are terrified to come out for the reunion?
1: No, listen, fear. I spit in the face
0: of fear. Yes.
1: (laughs) No, the reunion. What I would love to tease about the reunion is the set is beautiful. I don't know. This it was gorgeous. Andy is charming and handsome and hard hitting questions. I'm not terrified of anything in okay. housewives land i'm terrified of my mormon neighbors
0: right exactly no that's true that's true you're made of teflon now that like you've yeah. dealt with all of them you know okay well i'm so excited to watch these next three episodes and to see just this book take off you have so much exciting stuff coming up and i so thank appreciate you. you sitting with me
1: this was great thank you for having me
0: thank you it's so nice to meet you